Welcome to the second episode of Gear Up. I'm Chris Foster, Senior Editor of Triathlete Magazine, and you're listening to Triathlete's brand new monthly podcast that takes a look at the latest trends, the hot button topics, and lifts the curtain on all of that crazy tri-related gear that you love and sometimes love to hate. This week is all about the shoes. We've got a special guest, one of our writers, Adam Chase, a man who has tested literally hundreds upon hundreds of pairs of running shoes for pretty much every brand under the sun. In fact, he's been dubbed the Schumalier for his extensive running shoe experience. Today, we talk about what happened to the whole overpronator, underpronator classification system and why we lump shoes into different categories than we used to. Adam tells us why he's statistically irrelevant, touches on the whole barefoot running craze, and he explains why shoe companies stopped trying to fix us a little while ago. Adam and I also dig into carbon-soled shoes and the original energy return shoes, the Spiras. Remember those? We also dig into why there's so many specialized trail running shoes out there and then even come up with a new type of shoe on our own, the treadmill shoe. Finally, Adam covers topics like poopy diaper runners and talks about boulder posers. We'll get down to all those shoe shenanigans right after this quick break. Don't miss a try thing, so subscribe to Triathlete Magazine on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast to get everything right into your feed. We've got our awesome weekly podcast, The Triathlete Hour, with Triathlete Editor-in-Chief Kelly O'Mara, where she covers everything try. We've got our bi-weekly training podcast with managing editor and former pro triathlete Emma Kate Lidbury called Fitter and Faster. Guess what that's about? And our audio archive of monthly triathlete live shows where you get to be the interviewer and you get to ask the heavy tri-hitters in our sport what's on your mind. And last but not least, be sure to subscribe to Gear Up so you can stay up on all the inside tech talk. Don't be that guy or gal at your next training ride, virtual or otherwise, whose only contribution to the gear conversation is, my bike has aero bars. You're better than that. Triathlete Magazine podcast feeds are available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and SoundCloud. So we're here for the second episode of Triathlete Magazine's Gear Up podcast. I'm senior editor Chris Foster, and we're joined today by Adam Chase, um, calls himself the Chumalier. Um, he's probably tested over a thousand pairs of shoes. He'll be hitting his hundred thousand mile mark at some point this year. Um, he's worked with brands like Fila, Montreal, Solomon, Brooks, um, who he's currently working with. And um, most importantly, he's a size nine. So that's a big deal for testers because that's the tester size. Um, he also has a company that called Boulder Field Testing um, that works with um, big brands like Nike and Reebok to kind of check out focus groups um, to get evaluations on brand new shoes, see if people like them, don't like them, what's going on. So Adam knows a lot about shoes. Um, so we're super honored to have him here. He's joining us from his law office in Boulder. Welcome, Adam. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and, and Adam's done a lot of writing for us too, so he's, he's one of our favorite freelancers. Um, so today we were just going to kind of talk about one of these topics that suddenly popped up into my mind um, the other day when I was looking to buy new shoes, and it's shoe classifications. Like I remember back when I was in high school and college, you would get shoes based on, you know, like, okay, this is an overpronator shoe, this is an underpronator shoe, um, and then they had, you know, ne neutral and, and cushioned. Um, but that's changed. So, so Adam, can you shed a little light on why that terminology isn't used anymore and, and kind of how we got there? Yeah, I think um, a lot of it's just sort of the swing of um, where technology has come. And then I think also kind of medical science and um, 
the biomechanist um, analysis of the gate and things like that. So, um, and part of it's even the book Born to Run and how many people that uh, impacted. Um, my little sister is the perfect example, not a runner. She was living in New York City at the time. She read it and immediately went out and bought Beaver and Five Fingers and started pounding the pavement with her, right. <laughs> with her ugly shoes. <laughs> um, and for and those then, who don't know, like Born to Run was it really advocated for this minimalist right style of shoe, right? right? right. Like the, the Vibram, yeah. Yeah. And, and it was pretty interesting because it caused everyone to think about, you know, well, you know, what were the old shoes and what were they doing to the foot and to, you know, what, what is an efficient gait and things like that. Um, and at the time, uh, people started thinking, well, my heel striker or a midfoot striker or a forefoot striker. Right. Um, and that's when the shoe companies really started to analyze, well, what are our shoes doing to runners right. um, as far as biomechanics and, um, you know, are they getting injured and things like that. Right. Um, and I actually, at the time, another uh, rider friend and I were invited to, um, it was a seminar in Cologne, Germany, um, where they have the center, of, it's a sports university there and that the head who's he's now retired but uh, dr breugerman um gave a talk and he was doing this very involved analysis of of running strides and things like that and from that they developed a white paper uh, but i remember it was actually the year before the first time i met dr breugerman he was giving a talk on natural running um that was in munich germany and i raised my hand towards the end because he had been only talking about um, midfoot strikers and heel strikers. And I raised my hand and I said, well, I'm, I don't, and it's just dumb luck, but I don't land on my heel at all throughout my gait cycle. Um, and what they call a natural forefoot striker. And, um, <laughs> I said, what about forefoot strikers? And Dr. Bergman is a pretty funny guy. He looked at me, he says, you are statistically irrelevant. <laughs> That's always good <laughs> and to it's hear. Only, yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and it's only about 1% to 2% of people that are natural forefoot strikers. But because of um, Born to Run, people started to adapt, and they call it adapted forefoot striking. Mm. Um, and part of it was, like my sister, when you run on Vibrams or just pure barefoot, you will not be a heel striker because it hurts a lot. Um, <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I used to, you could always spot someone running with Vibrams or barefoot, um, from a, a long distance. And I used to call it the, the poopy diaper run because it looked like they were either running on hot coals or right. they had a, you know, a poop in their diaper. Um, <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> Sometimes you can tell them from the trail of blood behind them, right? That's right. <laughs> and I always vowed, I will never be beaten in a race by a barefoot runner <laughs> it's like no matter how old and slow i get like that's that's the curse <laughs> you can't you can't be beaten by have you still um, held that record still undefeated at least to the best of my knowledge unless they you know, <laughs> finished and, and left um the, the finish area before i got there i don't know that's funny. <laughs> i'd like to believe that yeah. um but um yeah so the the white paper that came out of program and study and it was a very involved story. They actually used human cadavers, which, um, hmm. you can't do in the U S but, um, their analysis was whatever you're, 
doing whatever shoe you like, mm-hmm. um, as long as it fits and you don't get injured, then stay with that shoe. And those are sort of the biggest um, elements. They said, you know, if you're a heel striker, which most people are, and right. it's, it's funny, I went, actually went to a, it was, um, I think Merrill sponsored this thing that I went to and we ran on Governor's Island, which is just um, off of Manhattan. You took the ferry out and these people would do these mile laps running barefoot or with minimalist shoes. Mm-hmm. And um, it was pretty funny because someone put a video camera down on the ground just to watch people's foot strikes. And almost everyone, and these were barefoot runners, were landing after the first couple laps. Mm-hmm. They were landing towards the back side of their hmm. foot. Um, which was kind of a surprise because you think, God, oh, that would hurt a lot. Right. But I think they were getting once you fatigue, you right. do start to run more, whatever comes naturally. Right. Um, so, and and, Bro- and Bro- basically said, you know, this is as long as you're not getting injured, then that's fine. And so we don't really need to be that minimalist and push people to their forefoot. But but the by asking that question that was asked by Born to Run, um, I think all the companies really started to scratch their heads and, and say, well, then where do we go with this? And, and then from that, I think that's where, um, Hoka pretty much mm-hmm. plays the trail with their maximalist approach right, and said, right, well, right. you know, let's just, um, and so the pendulum swung the other way and, right. and is still there. And that yeah. kind of, and now of course we have the super shoes, which are also maximalist, right, um, up right. to, and actually just, today or might have been yesterday and reported today um but the olympic committee um just reissued some analysis on what's legal in the footwear and they they held to their 40 millimeter um, oh really yeah oh crazy so So what does that rule out (sighs) actually i didn't even see that i don't know if you saw the new uh, energy shoes from mizuno no (laughs) they're I just reviewed them. I think the the review will go up on um, Podium Runner mm-hmm. next week. Um, okay. They look like cartoon shoes, oh, and they're sure. they're these big red balls that are kind of almost look like they're glued onto the outsole, oh um, and they're made with the with Mizuno's softest material, which is right. called Energy. Right, right. Um, and I, they're they're pretty. Jimongous. So I yeah. don't know if they're at 40, but they're pretty close if right. they're not. Oh, that's funny. So, yeah. so kind of what you're saying is, um, you know, we went away from the overpronator and the underpronator thing is because um, it's almost like we were trying to fix something that wasn't broken, right? Like rather than, rather than saying, hey, you know, you run like this, we need to force you into a box, right? It's more like you run like this, keep running like that, assuming you're not getting hurt. So I, that's a that seems like a right. huge change. And that's and but that's the key words, assuming you're not getting hurt. And right. you know, a lot a lot of people um were getting hurt. And that's kind of I mean, that was what um Chris was talking about in Born to Run was, right. you know, this is this is damaging. And and you know, it's like, well, was it the shoe or was it, you know, someone like my sister who went off the couch? Right. Um, exactly. And that's and and so I I went to went to a this is very early on, but the whole minimalist thing was starting to catch in a uh, local uh, exercise. Uh, actually, he was a physical therapist mm-hmm. in town, um, put together a, a whole talk on it. And um, people were, you know, looking at, well, should we adapt to minimalist running or just right. to 
changing to natural running. And um, the one thing that came out of that talk was if you are going to try to change, you need to do it very gradually. Mm. And it's like, you know, maybe a percent or two a day of, oh, you know, wow. of change. And so people don't um, like doing that, though. People like no, they don't. They're like, they get oh, inspired. I, I want to take like, this magic pill. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. I want to run like uh, an Indian who's lived their whole life barefoot. Like that's right. <laughs> and lives and lives in a non-concrete, right? You know, hardwood floor. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, and it seems like now the big category is like just going to a you know a running shoe website like you know I don't know Roadrunner Sports or something that has a lot of different brands. They don't even break it down like overpronator, underpronator now, um, they, they still do a little bit of the whole, you know, cushion versus stability versus motion control. But mm -hmm, even that mm -hmm. isn't, isn't, doesn't seem to be the categories that brands are preferring to, you know, stick themselves in. It feels now it's more like levels of cushion. Like that kind of feels like, like their categor categorization. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. And that, I mean, obviously, you can even say, you know, how much, um, what's your stack height? Right. Um, that's because, and that's, I think the driver now, um, you know, is if you do have maybe o over pronation, everyone, well, I shouldn't say everyone pronates, but m almost everyone pronates. Right. Right. Um, some people supinate, things like that. Right. Um, but the question is, is, you know, is that okay? And so, you know, right. going back to your, are you getting injured? Right. Um, and assuming you're not, then yeah, don't, don't change a good thing. Right. Um, right. Um, but then some people, you know, say, well, but I want to run faster or I want to be able to run longer, more comfortably. Right. Um, and so that's where you start looking at, well, do I need more cushioning? Um, right. And then, you know, there's so I just had a meeting earlier this week with Jonathan Beverly, who's mm -hmm. the editor in chief of Podium Runner, yeah. and uh, Brian Metzler, who writes a lot for Podium Runner, among many other. And he also just wrote Kicksology, right. um, which is a whole book about running shoes and the industry. And um, and it's pretty funny when the three of us get together because we're just like three, you know pigs and shit <laughs> it's just like <laughs> we're just you can't bring, I mean, we, we were actually asking the question of you know what defines a super shoe because we're going to do this right. um, article about you know the, the sort of what's the best super shoe and and you can't even say best right um especially around us because it's like well you know what's the length of the run and right. who who's running and are they a four foot striker or are right. they you know midfoot striker heel foot striker whatever um and then we got talking about people who run trails on road shoes yeah. um and you know and how <laughs> the hardest decision we have every day or maybe twice a day depending on how much we're running um is what shoe we're gonna wear oh yeah it's tough I know. <laughs> it is and i have i have over 100 pairs of shoes at home you know yeah. that i'm currently you know, I don't, I'm not testing all of them, but, right. um, so you're like, Oh, which one do I want to run in? And, you know, part of it's like, well, what did I run yesterday yeah. and how, how beat are my legs? So right. is this a recovery shoe day or, right. you know, those sorts of questions. But, um, and I, you know, my advice is that everyone should have at least three or four pairs of shoes. Right. Um, no, and agree. you cycle through and you, you get to pick, I mean, 
you know, it's talking to triathletes, it's like, well, how many bikes do you have? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. No, totally. And, and I think there's a lot of people who say that, you know, having not, not just different shoes, but very different kinds of shoes, you know, it kind of, kind of helps. What do they call that muscle confusion? Right. Like it mm -hmm. gives, mm -hmm. it, it kind of helps build injury resistance because you're not just using precisely the same little muscles over your leg, your foot, your ankle, things like that. So that's always been my thing is I'm like, I want very different shoes on different days because, you know, it helps strengthen, you know, me as I'm running, hopefully yeah. preventing and, injury. And yeah, injury proofing. Yeah. And also it's more fun. Right. Um, totally. And also you get to have that many more shoes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, really, I need all of these. Right. Shoes. <laughs> yeah. At least five pairs of shoes. That's what you For tell your sure. wife, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's like a t-shirt. Eventually, the arms get ripped off and it right. becomes, you know, just a sleeveless. And then that's like the highest form right. and your shoes, you know, eventually they become lawn mowing shoes right. or something like that. Right, right, totally. like, so. Well, and that's another thing actually I want to talk about is I've noticed a lot more, um, trail shoes like per brand. I remember back in the day, I mean, not too long ago, 15, 20 years ago, a big brand would have one or two models of trail shoes. And now we're seeing brands with a whole trail line, basically like one brand yeah. will have, as many trail shoes in their line as all the brands used to combined, it feels like. Yeah, and that's an interesting. I mean, that that actually came up when I was talking to Jonathan and and Brian because we were. I asked them about a specific shoe that I knew we were all testing, and they said, "Oh, you know." Jonathan said he found it a little firm, and I was like, "Well," and Jonathan does his training in Nebraska on the right. sand hills, right? And and I was like, well, it's actually perfect for, you know, the really rocky Colorado Rockies. Right. Um, and it also works well in, you know, the Cascades and New England's rocky thing. <laughs> yeah. But and we just talked about how trail shoes much more than road shoes. I mean, road is road is road. Right. And obviously, there's steep up and flat and those sorts of things. And then there's hot and cold. And, right. um, but other than that, it's pretty much it's a road. Right. Um, but trails are very geospecific and yeah. so what shoe works well um for example la sportiva which was designed and made now they do have a boulder office but mm. most of their design and it, it actually one time came out of here but it's in um the dolomites in right. in italy right. and those shoes are really perfect for hard rock and then oh, the yeah. dolomites um i mean i've raced there and it's especially if you're running a longer race, you really feel the hardness of that rock. And right. it's like, God, this is, you know, it's like the difference. <laughs> it's a harder between, rock than a normal rock, it, right? <laughs> it is. I mean, it's like running the difference between, you know, blacktop or asphalt versus right. concrete. And, right. you know, as a triathlete, you definitely notice that right. and gravitate towards the darker surfaces if right. you can right. um, in a race. It's yeah. like if you have both, you're going to run on the, the, the asphalt right. unless it's really hot. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> So, yeah. yeah. Um, but La Sportiva is designed for handling that, and it does really well, and that's why they do well here in Colorado, too. Yeah. Um, it's somewhat similar, although our redstone is very forgiving compared to their white, <laughs> you know, sort of. Yeah. They should yeah. have something where you can send in, like, a, a sample of your, your of area. Your lock. Yeah. And then yeah, they're right. like, ooh, you'll, you'll need this kind of shoe. <laughs> well, be like bespoke sh trail shoes or something. <laughs> yeah. <it's laughs> Customized. True. It's like, it's like, um, 
you know, someone, well, this, this pairs well with, uh, oh, yeah. you know, as the Chumalier, like, I mean, that's, that's, exactly that's right, right in your wheelhouse. <laughs> mm, I, I taste a hint of, um, burnt oak in there. I think you need, I think you're going to need this brand and this model on this year. But I do think, um, but if you're a, a trail shoe company, um, or a road shoe company that, that is hitting the trails, then it's probably a lot more fun, especially as a designer. You're like, yeah. well, you know, road shoes, you know, you just, I guess you probably, as you said, you dial in the cushioning, how much cushioning do you want? Right. Um, but with trail, it's like, there are all these different factors. Um, you know, how much outsole yeah. do you need? And do you need a outsole for wet or for dry right. and those sorts of questions. Yeah. I know at least for me, like I get way more excited about trail shoes because I'm just like, Oh, they always have such neat, like bells and whistles, you know, like you kind of <laughs> like, Oh yeah, this one, like, you know, Hoka had that, that ridiculous one, uh, earlier this year that was made for oh, downhill. The 10, trail. Nine, the yeah, 10, 10 nine. Oh yeah. my gosh. And, but right. there is something kind of cool about that. You're like, Oh, it's like a funny car, you know, you're like, it, it, it you don't is. necessarily want to wear it, but you're like, Hmm. That's interesting. I like, want to try it though. Right. I want to see yeah, it. Like, I, yeah. And I want to try it out. I'm probably not going to wear it all the time or I may only wear it a couple times, but yeah, no, trail shoes are definitely like that. Um, the other thing I kind of wanted to touch on and um, we alluded to it a little earlier was just kind of the, not so much the super shoes, but starting with just the carbon plates. Um, and I was just thinking about this the other day, you know, for those listeners who don't know, I can't imagine you wouldn't, but, um, you know, carbon plates have been really popular in the last couple of years. Um, started with Nike's 4% line, um, kind of offers this rebound coming out of a carbon plate that, that returns energy back up to the runner. Um, they say it doesn't necessarily make you faster, but it makes you more efficient, which leads to, you know, faster times because you're less tired. Um, but Adam, do you remember these Spira shoes? Yeah. Back at, well. And remember they paid, they paid, I think it was a group of like five guys, um, at the Boston marathon and yeah. they were, they were, they were illegal Yeah, and they knew that and they, they still did it. It was a great marketing campaign, Yeah, but they paid these guys to rabbit and they, I think one of the guys held on for the first half. Yeah. Um, and he was wearing, they had, they, it was Spira also known as shoe spring. Right. Right. It was um, an actual, they, it was they like had a bunch real of springs, springs in there. In the yeah. Shoe. yeah. They had. Some in the forefoot and, and then a big one in the heel. Right. Um, and then some of the earlier prototypes, you could actually see it, which, right. you know, it's kind of like the Nike Air, you know, it's right. like there's a little window and stuff. Right. Um, and they were pretty damn heavy. I think the spring was steel. I mean, I don't think Crazy. it was made of any. Um, yeah. It wasn't like a carbon fiber plate of spring or right. anything like that. It was um, just a little more rough. I know. I think, I mean, I went to their website. They're still around. But, I mean, it seemed like the mid-2000s was like their... Yeah, I, I think there was something like they were saying, like, oh, the most they were actually banking off the illegal thing. Like they were yeah, like, we're yeah, super say, illegal. So fast, yeah, you're illegal. it's illegal, right? right. Yeah, it's and then like, some people were kind of like, illegal to to whom? Like, where, you know, like no one's really worried about the legality of these shoes. It's not, you know. So, um, but the stuff we're looking at now is totally different than the Spira, right? Um, talk a little bit about just. Well, I, I don't know and... that you can say totally different. Okay. Um, I mean, the, you know, the question is, is does you, does it give you a mechanical advantage, right. which is what, what the Spira did. And it's right. like, okay, a chemical, I mean, I'd say it doesn't give you a mechanical advantage and it's actually, I think that the proof is coming out that it's actually not the carbon fiber that's giving the mechanical advantage. Mm -hmm. It's actually the, it's a chemical advantage of the material. 
material and they're actually it's more super foams than it is super shoes interesting um and that's what and and that's what you know jonathan and brian and i were struggling with is saying well you know does this shoe count as a super shoe because um it doesn't have maybe the stack height is actually on the lower end and it's actual some of them are actually flexible right um and you know in that comparison that i did for triathlete where we had the three saucony versus the three asics um um, it was interesting because one of the asics didn't actually have a carbon fiber plate it had a polymer plate but it was really rigid right and then one of the ASICs um, had a carbon fiber plate, but it was actually quite flexible and yeah. a fairly low stack height and right. actually just ran like a really good racing flat. Right. Um, right. So it's like, okay, I'm not feeling any, you know, sort of biomechanical um, advantage, but it's just, it's just, it's just a great shoe. It's a nice feeling um, shoe, right? Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, you sort of have to ask, ask those questions. And as you said, you know, it, it comes down to efficiency and that's very, person specific. Um, and even, you know, you know, I think Hoka nailed it with their carbon X Mm -hmm. ahead ahead of a lot of other companies. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think now there's so many, um, companies that have come along and had more time to focus on this. Mm -hmm. Um, but Hoka did really well for triathletes because the Nike 4%, the next percent, um, and now what are we on alpha? Um, which nobody can get a sample of anyway. Right. <laughs> so it's like, we don't know anything about viewers. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, <laughs> but, um, and I think Adidas is about to, or they've hit it too. They're, right. they're coming along too. Right. Um, but with, with those, with the Nike, if you're running on tired legs after 112 miles, right. you've, those for those to work well and they're just rigid as all hell and yeah. they i mean they're they're excellent if you're already naturally a you know a sub 6 minute right. marathon pace right. runner because to to run that pace you're pretty much on your toes right. but how many triathletes off the bike are on their toes oh yeah almost no one i mean almost no i mean yeah. you know it's like um that's a good point because but those were some of the most popular shoes at kona last year the, the nike was yeah yeah, yeah which is and fascinating pers- but i think that's perception exactly um, a lot no, of I it agree. but i but i think i mean the beauty of the of the carbon x is that it runs really well on tired legs yeah whereas the nike not so much right um and the and that's what jonathan was saying he loved um the brooks you could be a midfoot striker and it still mm-hmm. works really well mm-hmm. and so you know the and that's sort of the question that we're asking who is this shoe for and that's whenever i do reviews um i mean i kind of take myself out because i'm statistically irrelevant um, <laughs> <Right>. you don't <laughs> you <know>? exist <laughs> <laughs> that's right but i i i have to say who is this shoe best for for whom is this shoe best there you go. <laughs> uh, because i will not end a sentence with a preposition but um but i think that's you know to to do justice to the shoe and the you know it's funny because every shoe it's like um you know it's like it's got a design team with a developer and a product oh, yeah. line manager and all the materials that went into it and so you start to know all that and you're like well i can't i'm not going to just diss the shoe and it's just like okay this shoe is best for you know, someone who is off the couch or right. this shoe's best for a, you know, a 
four and a half minute miler, you know, right. so, you know, and that's, you just want to put the right shoe on the right foot. Right. I mean, very yeah. rarely are shoes just complete garbage. Like, I mean, can you think, you don't have to name it, but can you think of a pair of shoes that you're like, this is good for no one <laughs> from a major I, brand? I once, this is probably about, I don't know, 18 years ago. And, um, Puma sent me a pair of, they, they actually call them trail shoes. And I said, if Elton John ran trails, he would want this shoe because they were like platform <laughs> shoes and they were, and they were also stiff as hell. So it wasn't like they were um, like Hoka's where there's right. some, you know, some cushion in there and softness. This was just like a platform trail shoe. And what like, were they thinking? Um, what was the thought behind that? I, I think the designers had never run a trail in their life. Oh so my gosh. I don't know that there was a lot of thought. They That's just, scary. You know, every, and I mean, bottom line is I remember this is 20 years plus now. Um, but one of the first very successful trail shoes was the New Balance 801. Um, and it it sold like hotcakes for one reason. It looked good with jeans. Yep. I, and I so, think yeah, I had a pair of those. I remember. Yeah, they were yeah. white. They were whitish, off-white yep. kind of. Yep. Um, and, you know, you were talking about companies that have a whole line of trail shoes. Um, and a long time ago, I wrote a story called The Mountain Sexual. <laughs> um, and, and kind of coined the phrases, but there are a lot of posers, especially on Boulder. You, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> um, actually you see them usually at, um, our coffee shops in North Boulder cause they're going for a ride, which usually consists of going to, to the get coffee a shop. cappuccino or whatever, <laughs> right. a skinny cappuccino with oat milk and oh blah, 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 you know, Ugh. but they, they are dressed to the nines, right. um, and their bike is, you know, minimum of ten thousand right. um, dollars. But they don't really ride, and I always right. wondered about those guys getting totally dissed, you know, just riding back from right. their coffee. Uh, <laughs> but, but that's what drives a lot of, you know, all athletic shoe sales is, yeah. you know, does it look good with jeans, and right. and you know, can you and trail shoes look good. Yeah. Um, I always, I always reach for my trail shoes whenever I'm like, all right, I don't need like, you know, something nicer. Like I'm going to wear trail shoes. Cause the other ones, they just look too flashy. It's like, it's like screaming, like I'm about to go yeah. for a run or right, I just finished right. a run. I'm a runner. Come talk to me about running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, it's actually kind of an interesting thing with COVID with people who took those shoes that they had only worn as lifestyle shoes. And then because oh, yeah. their gym is closed or they started to put on COVID weight, whatever, um, and they needed to get out of their house, they started running. And now those shoes that had been kind of deflated from lifestyle use right. um, were, you know, the, the midsole compound had lost its life and they found they just weren't giving that kind of feedback that they needed. And so there, a lot of those people are buying shoes now, which has yeah. been great for the, you know, the whole running world, both, you know, apparel and footwear and yeah. accessories. So yeah. yeah. As long as they don't injure themselves before they get to that point, <laughs> before they buy yeah, the shoes. And that's you know? just it. Are they, you know, are they off the couch and, and trying to do too many miles? But it's, it was interesting um, running around Boulder of just seeing how many more people, um, and a lot of younger people that were out, I think they just needed to get out of their family home, um, but were out using the roads and the trails, um, yeah. that I had never seen before. I mean, yeah. obviously in Boulder, you get a lot all the time anyway, right. but it went from a lot to a huge number. Yeah. So. And you can often tell like, you know, when someone's brand new to running, like there's just, you know, even fast or slow, there's just something about them, you know, it's just like, they just look, 
little little worried maybe <laughs> or yeah you can you can usually hear them too right they're pretty hard on their feet like right. <laughs> right. or you know you're like that person's only going for a four minute run like there's no way they right. can sustain yeah. that pace that is that is unsustainable <laughs> as they as they go by you right, you're right. Like, yeah. i think i'm See just in a gonna second go, yeah i'm gonna just stick behind them for a little while <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well right. and that's actually kind of going back to the original question about you know um pronation control and things like that. Um, the one question I always ask people is, can you hear yourself running? Um, which, and, and I think the most important thing to focus on is cadence. So it's not like, where are, where am I hitting on my foot as far as foot strike, but how much sound am I making? And if you're doing a a high cadence run, um, and that's probably going to mean that you're somewhere in the mid to four of your foot, um, you're probably not going to get injured. And so that's probably, you know, the one thing to focus on. And if a shoe can help you and, you know, that was kind of the initial aspect of Newton's was that they kind of encourage people to get up on their, on their forefoot. Right. Um, yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. I mean, like, I wonder if they would even have the next, the next category is going to be cadence, you know, or something like that. Like this is, this is good for that cadence or something like that. I mean, of course there's too many yeah. factors, but, um, that would be cool. I would love to see. Yeah. It's actually, um, kind of an interesting thing of, um, Rennie, um, used to do when we saw her training on treadmill yeah, and yeah. I used to always say, I gave a shit about it. Cause I was like, well, that's not real running. Cause <laughs> you're on a treadmill. You're, um, and grant, she could kick my ass, <laughs> 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 um, but, um, but you're, on a treadmill you're pulling and on running you're pushing totally. and so it's a very different um, and you can kind of hang by, in in uh in on treadmill running like i've always felt like i was able to cheat treadmills you know if you just kind of oh, yeah hang. like like well, well not, not like did, grab the rails but like right. you know what i mean like like you're you're extending your your air time and the ground's just passing oh, right. you know what i mean yeah. yeah 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 no that's true just getting but but it actually it's kind of funny because that training translates really well for triathletes Mm -hmm. and and, uh, probably only triathletes because um and you can tell me because i don't ride much anymore um (laughs) but but when you get off your bike your quads are shot right usually if you did it right (laughs) yeah right so when you're when you're running with shot quads you're actually kind of doing more of a treadmill type run than yeah. you would, you know, it's the, the Ironman shuffle. Yeah. Um, it's a different gait than you would have if you were just going for a track workout. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's why, you know, I think Randy still has the fastest marathon off the bike, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think she does. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think so. Yeah. Still yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it obviously, I mean, it takes, you know, great putty, but also some awesome molding. Right, right. <laughs> and she has both. Yeah, um, yeah. So it worked really well. But um, yeah, I actually encourage some shoe companies to design treadmill running shoes because the difference really? between pushing and pulling. Right. Um, they, they didn't take my advice, but <laughs> <laughs> they will someday. But, yeah, that's it. Because I, I mean, it does royalty. seem like things are just getting more and more specialized. I mean, like we were saying with the trail shoes, you know, there's downhill trail shoes, there's you know, muddy day trail shoes, there's oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's treadmill hard, sh- hard surface trail, you know, wet yeah. surfaces, yeah, whatever. You got I, it. I, I mean, I don't think a treadmill specific shoe seems silly at all. I'm surprised they didn't hop on that to tell you the truth. 
Well, and I think most running in the world is on treadmills because you've yeah. got to figure if you're in a if you're in a dangerous city or yeah. sadly a city with a lot of um, bad air quality, right. then you're on a treadmill. Um, if you're in you know Scandinavia in the winter, you're on a treadmill. I mean, there's yeah. just a lot of miles that are logged on treadmills. And now with all these virtual races, yeah. almost all of the winners are on treadmills, and they go for. Uh, like they just had one last weekend where it's you had to run a mile every 15 minutes for as long as you could. Oh man, the, there's those things are so brutal. I don't know. They how. are because it's like you know you can almost always eke out some more. Right, like, right. It, it's just like teasing you, and and you start thinking like that doesn't sound that hard, and then you're into it, and you're like, oh, I can't give up now. Like it's just yeah. No, that's good. So what what would a treadmill shoe look like? What is that? I think I mean. It depends, I suppose, you know, is the treadmill made? Because now there's a lot of rubber-surfaced ones. Mm -hmm. um, but the old ones were, you know, kind of a conveyor belt material. Right. Um, right. So it could be pretty hard um, and durable that way. Mm. Um, you don't need a lot of cushioning because the treadmill has its own cushioning. So it'd be right. super light. Um, and they'd be geared towards – I don't think too many people are heel strikers on the treadmill. So it wouldn't right. have to have – much of a stack height or that much cushioning. Right. Um, and so it'd be mostly focused on the minimal outsole that's durable hmm. um, and very flexible. Yeah. So that's super. And mostly it's just marketing. Right. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> you just get that in the right marketing hands and it doesn't matter how it's designed, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's biomechanically correct. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, they have trainer tires, you know, for, yeah, for cycling. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I yeah. feel like a treadmill shoe, we might. You've heard it here first. There Treadmill you go. Treadmill <laughs> shoe on Gear Up. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. But but it's funny because, you know, we talk about marketing. And I think a lot of what shoes are, you know, you think about it's not about the bike. Um, right. It's in so many ways it's not about the shoe either. But the super shoes are essentially marketing to your brain. Um, right. And you're basically talking – your body into running faster right. and part of it is perception of, you Absolutely. know, does it make you feel faster? And, right. and that stiffness. So I think the carbon fiber or whatever is the really hard surface that they're using. Sometimes it's resin and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's to kind of, it adds some stability, but I think a lot of it's, um, that rigidity allows you to feel like you're moving faster. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, huge. Um, yeah. 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 Well, you know, and a lot of people who, run at night really understand that because oh, then yeah. it's just a, it's a feeling yeah. more than anything. Cause you can't see how fast you're oh, running. Yeah. I always feel like I'm running super fast at night. You feel like amazing. You're like a champion. I run really fast in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, Hey, if you're going to run, run fast somewhere, that's a good place to start. That's a good place. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, I've been told that I'm often running my dreams cause you're like, <laughs> like fighting, fighting for a finish or something like that. Oh man! Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so, we don't need to go there. Yeah. So, so I'll change the uh, subject real quick from okay. Adam's heavy breathing in bed. Um, <laughs> so another, another, I do sleep. I do sleep in an altitude chamber. So okay, good, good. Okay. So you got that. That's a good excuse. Yeah. Um, so, so the other kind of thing we've seen over the last couple of years, and this is a little less performance, um, but. No, well, not necessarily. And we were talking about this before is these kind of new lacing systems. Um, I mm -hmm. mean, new, not new, but new to running. Like, you know, we're seeing these BOA. It's for listeners who don't know. BOA is like that kind of um, 
it's almost like a guitar string um, that winds on a little dial and you see it on like 80% of cycling shoes. You see it on a ton of snowboard boots. Yep. Um, but now you're seeing it on brands like, I mean, Saucony has, has a BOA model, Adi- Adidas, Adidas outdoors, New Balance, yeah, yep. La Sportiva, Ice, um, Iceberg, I think, or Icebug, Icebug. Iceberg, um, yep. Yeah. So what, what do you think about this? Like, are we, are we more marketing stuff or? There, no, because they work. Right. Um, so there's also speed lacing, which, um, uh, you know, Solomon kind of really plays the trail with that. So right. it's a one pole system right. and it's, and then there's actually a garage, um, a lace garage that people always neglect and then they flop around and sometimes they can trip over the uh, Kevlar lacing, exactly which about. is really dangerous. But, yeah. um, so, um, so there are, you know, some alternative lacing systems and then, you know, the old, um, kind of replace your laces with a, with a flexible, right. Which is what um, tons, one. A, tons of triathletes. Do. Yeah. yeah. So then you can slip them right on. So right. those exactly. are, I mean, triathletes in a lot of ways were way ahead of right. the, of the pack on that. Um, but BOA is a little different than let's say Solomon because they're really easy to adjust on the fly. Yeah. Um, which from a road standpoint, you wouldn't necessarily need. Um, I suppose if your but feet maybe. started to swell, let's right. say, you know, you're running Kona, it right. might be nice, um, you know, about halfway out and you're out on the lava fields, you're like, Oh, it's getting really hot. My feet are swelling. I'm going to dial this back. Absolutely. Um, Because otherwise that's a whole uh, ordeal. I mean, you got to untie, you got to, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I didn't think of that. Well, except for the boa to loosen, you've got to pop it right? and then it loosens up and then you re dial it in. So it's, I mean, well, seconds and it is very quick and that's the beauty of it. But from a trail standpoint, it's awesome because you can, if let's say you're starting at the base of a mountain, you leave them a little bit loose and right. you get to the top and you just go click, click, click. And that's honestly one of my favorite aspects of, of BOA is, <laughs> and they, they did, they actually switched their dials, the old BOA. Um, actually North face used, a, 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 I think they were one of the first to use BOA in a trail shoe mm-hmm. and they had it in the back of the, sh- the uh, dial was in the back, which is not yeah. a good place because no. you would kick it and right. it would, Oh, adjust man. when you didn't want to. Um, but I always thought, wow, these are great. You could go up and then just dial it down for your descent. Yeah. That was just pretty cool. That's super cool. And but, it kind of puts but, you in like but, the but zone the, too. Cause you're like, all right, you know, it's game time. Yep, like, click, click, click. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Um, and then, I, I mean, I, I think the, actually it's both La Sportiva and the uh, Saucony switchback. Um, so Las Pertiba did it with the VK. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think it's just releasing in August or maybe even later in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the switchback is also an August release. Mm-hmm. Um, and they use a side dial, but it's pretty new use of, um, the BOA system that I think works really well and really holds you securely, but allows for that. Um, dial in that's really cool um have you had any have you seen any i mean aside from the one that was on the heel can you think of any downside to it i mean the only and it's rare and not easy to do but if you're running in really rocky terrain and it's Mm -hmm. on the side or sometimes if it's on the tongue um the only problem i suppose on the tongue is just it's 
um, it's, you can't get the same kind of torque as you do on the side. Right. So you really have to crank it sometimes. But on the side, if you're on rocky terrain, you can hit the dial against rock. Oh, yeah. And I've actually had one time where it, it actually loosened. Um, you got to hit it just wrong um, right. to do that. And that's pretty rare, but it's, it is a possibility. Or you could potentially, if you damaged it, and I think it would, again, take a lot because they use a really, I think it's a Kevlar um, mm. material. And those dials are, are pretty bomb-proof. But if you really smash them somehow, um, which is hard to do. I mean, you don't really yeah. smash your feet that much. Right. Um, if you smash that dial hard enough to break the dial, you probably have other things to worry about. Like you're probably, <laughs> right. you're, you're yeah. probably on the way to the hospital. <laughs> anyway. And you probably aren't needed to worry about your running form in the first place. If you're doing <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You're running on your ankles or something insane. Yeah. I mean, I would worry about using a boa shoe for, let's say, Eco Challenge Fiji, where you're going through all sorts of crap. And, and right. because if you have a failure, how do you fix that in the field? Right. That's, I mean, that's but, a good thing about laces. But yeah, again, that's, that's pretty rare, right? Like, that'd be pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, I feel like boas could be awesome for triathletes. I feel like they haven't even really, I, I think there were a couple brands. I feel like Zoot might have done it a while ago they, that, that they were like, they were like, yeah, this is for triathletes to do a quick transition. But all the stuff we're seeing now, it's mostly trail shoes. And there's not much mention. Yeah, the, of... And there's the zoo ones were just laceless. That's right. That's right. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know. I'm surprised. So... I still have a pair of those. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't. <laughs> they were all, all black and kind of flashy. They're yeah. Cool. They were crazy. Um, yeah. I know. So, Boa, if you're listening, triathletes want more boa equipped shoes <laughs> <laughs> oh they're listening they they want they want they want more boa laced shoes too yeah. um, but here's here's the deal i, I remember um uh, talking to a guy named matt schreiner who's in charge of uh cortex for footwear mm -hmm. um and we i had just i was at the outdoor retailer show about maybe three or four years ago and there was um Vibram was marketing a new, it was called Arctic Grip. And they had one pair of Sauconies that had the Arctic Grip and one that didn't. They mm. were otherwise identical. Mm. And you'd put them on and walk on this ice that had been kind of out in a, you know, 60-something, 70-degree room. Uh -huh. um, so it was sort of had water on it because mm -hmm. it was melting a bit. And the one with the Arctic Grip gripped like there's no tomorrow. And the other one, we just slip around like you think on wet ice. Right. Um, and it was like night and day. And it worked out to be the, the perfect storm for testing this because when you tried it on ice that was not melting, like most ice right. when you're running in winter, right. it actually doesn't work as well. Oh, that's <laughs> and that's funny. why it hasn't taken off. Um, but I asked Matt what he thought of that. And he said, well, they're a competitor. And I was like, wait, you make Gore-Tex. How would that be a competitor? And he said, yeah. well, Say you're, um, you know, Saucony because they had purchased it and you can, you, you are designing the perfect winter shoe. And so, you know, you'd think you'd want Gore-Tex and you'd also want this Arctic grip and maybe you'd want Boa too, because your fingers are too cold to lace things. But if you add all three of those to an otherwise, um, fairly expensive shoe, cause it's well-made, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. you're talking about, you know, $200 shoe and that's out oh, of your price range. So right. as a designer, you can only pick one or two of the three premium products to add to it. Oh, so, and, and definitely, um, Boa is a premium product and I right. think it adds, you know, 10 to $15 to the, to the retail price of a right. shoe. So, yeah. 
um, that's that's the problem. Um, right. You know, it's like you can only have so many bells and whistles. Right, right. And you don't want to just be just be selling super expensive shoes because you'll be missing a big slice of the market that doesn't want to buy that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Although those um, Mizunos that I tried that are the Jimungus ones are um, three hundred dollars. That's crazy. Are they like going to be a full production, or are they just like kind of more like a concept shoe level thing? Depends on demand, I suppose. Yeah. Um, well, because I like I that ten nine was really expensive too, and I didn't get the sense they anticipated a lot of people buying that. Yeah, but I mean, look at when the four percent first came out; those were outrageously expensive, and they sold like hotcakes because right. everyone's thinking. I mean, it's the same way. <laughs> with the triathletes buying the most expensive TT bike, you know, yeah. it's like, Oh, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll spend well. an extra $1,500 for, you know, this wheel. Right. Or right. more like 2,500. Right. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> you tell I'm, I'm a runner, man. <laughs> That's all right. And <laughs> we forgive you. Um, oh, very cool. Cool. Adam. Well, um, well, thank you so much for joining us uh, you bet. for this you bet. edition. We covered a, a lot of ground. And um, keep an eye out for uh, Adam's columns in both Trathlete. He, does, he just wrapped up our uh, fall shoe guide um, for our next issue. And then he does a lot with uh, Podium Runner. It's one of our, our cousin publications, I guess is the nice way to put it. Um, yeah, in our, in our growing family. That's right. Um, well, thank you for joining us again, Adam. And, uh, and you we'll bet. It's talk a, to you later. It's a treat. Yep. All right. Thanks, Thanks Adam. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.